Oh, wait, uh, I think I see you. Can you can you wave? Can you see me? Uh, the person I'm looking at isn't waving. They're just staring at me. Are you sure? Okay, this is weird. Um, now they're moving towards me. Are you okay? Oh, shit. He's following uh, me. I don't, I don't see anybody. Oh, shit! He, he's after me. Oh, where are you? He's got a knife. What? He's got a knife. What? And that's not the worst part. The worst part is you teach a class about slashers and you still walked into a dark alley alone. That's not funny. <sighs> no. It's not. Junk food supper. 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 Welcome to Junk Food Supper. This is the podcast where basically every week we get together to talk about crazy movies and weird stuff and. David Lynch and small Mexican chihuahuas. Uh, I am Parker, joined as always by Sean Byron in LA. Sean Byron, how are you doing? How is your new year going? What's going on with you? What kind of dog you got, bro? <laughs> joined by David Lynch and, you know, the, the, the talk of dogs. I don't know if, if do you actually have a small Mexican chihuahua? Not anymore. No, my, well, oh, boy. Gonzo might have a little. Mexican Chihuahua blood in him, but he's mostly Jack Russell Terrier. And then Shinji, he's kind of a pug. Man, more or less. this is this is a never-ending sequence between the plot lines of these films all concerning dead dogs, and now I come to find out the drop that you love so dearly is also a re- <laughs> reminder of recent tragedy in your life. It's true. All the drops are reminders. I mean, I can't, I can't listen to that one without remembering that time that that guy touched my breast. You know? <laughs> of Still course. Fresh. <laughs> Not to mention all, all that trauma relating to the time that you went batso. <laughs> of course, yeah. I, I, I can't even tell you what happened to me at the opera that one time. No, really? Mm-hmm. I happen to be an opera fan. <laughs> I saw Roger Ebert at the opera. <laughs> it shook me to my core. That does sound traumatic. Um, <laughs> how am I doing? I'm doing all right. It's a new year. I'm ready, you know, to dive back into the world of uh, JFD, JFS. K- kind of feels a little bit strange to be coming back and not have to be talking about gross pornos in the first week of the year. Yeah, it does feel weird. Like, I mean, yeah, like this is for like the last six or seven years or whatever, it's always been boobies this week. So I feel, I feel odd. I actually did watch Jim Wynorski's Busty Cops part two the other night, just, just to get a little taste of that, uh, that happy nude year. But, but yeah, it does feel off. Feels yeah, odd. Instead we're watching maybe the most sexless slasher ever conceived. I mean, there's like very little nudity or, or is there any nudity at all in any of the screen movies? Um, certainly not these, these two, the two new ones. There's not, I think like there's like a silly like shower scene. I don't think there's any nudity in it in part two. Rose McGowan's got that foxy top that she's wearing, but it stays on her breasts the entire time in in the first one. 
Yeah. Yeah, I don't think there's any any actual nudity. Yeah. So I, I guess this is our our counter to all these years of, you know, being forced to look at boobs. Which, you know, that's not the part of Happy New Year that I would term as gross, is, is the boobs. It's more, you know, the, you know, the other stuff that we've had to cover. Yeah. I think Bat Pussy was probably a Happy New Year movie, stuff like that. It, 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 it does tend to get gross. Yeah. A Night Dreams, if you will. It's, a, it's always some weird, like, fawn creature having sex with a box of like breakfast cereal or something in the first week of the year. And I'm like, I can't handle this. I'm still getting my bearings. <laughs> yeah. There's that one movie you picked where like, there's like an orgy and everybody was wearing Richard Nixon masks or something. <laughs> well, that was just a home movie. I'm not sure how you got access to that. <laughs> well, I'm not going to tell you who was the source of this videotape. <laughs> now tell me, who was the source of this videotape? <laughs> it's so great to have all the drops back. Yeah, indeed. I've, I've only had three this entire time. We've been. I know. Uh, yeah, they've been good ones, though. I mean, we have always known when it was time for the percolator. Thank God. That's true. That is true. Hmm. Well, so yeah. Well, well welcome I, to, I was going. Welcome to the new year. Yeah, indeed. I was. I was going to ask you. We're not doing our top movies of the year for a couple of weeks until Kevin's back. It would be strange to do them without Kevin, but have you been cramming in a lot of 2023 20, movies to get ready for that? You know, you would think that I would be like, that would be the smart thing to do. I, you know, theoretically I had like 10 days off work or something. I had like a nice long Christmas break and you would think, you know, I like movies, so I'd probably be at home watching movies or maybe even going out to the theater and watching movies. As a guy that likes movies, I would probably be watching some. Didn't really watch any movies over the break, going to be honest with you. I spent most of my time fiendishly compiling thousands of clips from obscure Japanese pornos from the 70s into a album-length music video for a 20 year old record. And I don't know why I did it, but I felt extremely <laughs> compelled to do it and couldn't stop myself from doing it. Well, I think everybody's glad that you're doing that kind of stuff. If you know, if it's not me, who will, mm -hmm. right? Exactly. It's good. It's good to keep busy with these sorts of things. I've just been watching Melrose place. So I, I oh, mean, yeah. the fact that you've done something constructive is I'm jealous. I will say it was a little bit infuriating, like spending 10 days on this project, which, you know, I, I actually had fun doing it, you know, but it was like a ton of work putting together these videos. Actually, I've been working on it since November, just really cramming in as much effort as possible into this project. And I was pretty happy with the result posted it, you know, not that many people, you know, watched it or whatever, you know, a few people here and there giving, giving a thumbs up and that's nice, but it's not about that. I'm not trying to like, you know, get rich off this video or anything. But what bothered me was like, so after posting these videos that I made for the Avalanches record since I left you, YouTube has been recommending me other videos that other people have done for, you know, these same songs. There's not a goddamn one of these that's worth, a, you know, a lick of shit. Like they're all just complete <laughs> garbage videos, all with like millions of views. I, I watched one last night that's got like hundreds of thousands of views. And the guy just clipped a single scene from the movie Baraka, which is like a nature documentary that I like. 
he didn't make any alterations. It's just like a three and a half minute cut from that movie that he just put the music from one of these songs under it. No effort. And just like dozens of comments from people, incredible work. You did an amazing job. And I'm like, <laughs> man, maybe I'm just trying too hard. Yeah, that could be. I mean, there are a lot of Baraka fans out there, so maybe that's part of it, you know? Yeah, a lot of Ron Frick, you know, fanatics out there. They're hugely (laughs) into these non-narrative, you know, non-verbal documentaries. Could be. There's also a lot of fans of Baraka from Mortal Kombat 2. So maybe, you know. Oh, yeah. He's got those cool teeth. Yeah, he's getting some of that SEO, bringing in (laughs) accidental fans from Mortal Kombat, so... Well, good for Baraka then. I mean, if if this, you know, rubs off on Baraka from Mortal Kombat and he's able to enjoy some success from this, then then I do feel good about all of it. Yeah. Also, there's a lot of fans of Barack Obama, you know? He's one of the better presidents, they say. Where's my boo drop? <laughs> Why don't I have a boo drop? Well, I like making those kinds of jokes, you know? That's what I do. He's got his own Who's ammo. the best bowman of all time? <laughs> we collided on those drops. I wonder what that du- sounds like. Dueling drops. I just wanted you to know about my modus operandi. <laughs> um, but yeah, no, I, I didn't really watch anything. Did you? Not at all. Um, yeah. I, yeah, I also thought that I was going to be watching all the rest of the 2023 movies that I need to see, and I watched... I watched one. I saw The Iron Claw. Oh, yeah. I still want to see that. I, I just haven't gotten out for it. I wish it was streaming. Yeah, it's... Yeah, there's nothing in it that's like so bombastic that I would see, say that you need to see it on a big screen. Um, but it's a very good movie. It's worth seeing. But it's, yeah, I think it would work just as well on a, on a small screen. You hated that Ric Flair, though. Ric Flair was terrible i i think that the guy who played him he must have been like the director's friend or something like that and like was like like somebody they got at the last minute because he was fucking awful like he didn't really look like rick flair his woo was terrible like he did a woo like the way that like like the road warriors would do a woo, you know, like real angry, like an animal, like an animal or something like a primal kind of a scream of a woo, not like the Ric Flair, you know, woo that we all know and love. Yeah. The one thing about Ric Flair that anyone can do that everyone Mm -hmm. in an auditorium does multiple times per night. Anytime there's wrestling. Yeah. The thing that has like, becomes synonymous with like just a guy being chopped across the chest that makes an entire arena of 20,000 people do it in unison around the world. Even, even in countries, you know, where English is not the primary language, they speak woo. Yeah. It, yeah, it's incredible. He didn't get that part right. And yeah, he was, he was awful. Everybody else though was really good. Zach Efron, my dude was amazing. Um, in this movie where all the saddest shit in the world happens to him. Um, and a lot of a lot of cool wrestling, a lot of cool wrestling stuff in it. Um, the guy who played Harley Race was really cool. All those Von Erics were cool. Um, it really gave off fun, like late seventies, early eighties Texas vibes. Like nice between any, any Funk appearances. No, oddly enough, no Terry Funk. Hmm. I guess uh, maybe they were stuck out there in West Texas or something. Yeah. That. Uh, yeah. Yeah, 
I don't know where they were from now. I can't think of it. But um, what about what about Bruiser Brody? We get any Brody action? Yeah, I think yeah, I think he was there. Nice. The fabulous Freebirds were there. Um, some other guys. They didn't go too crazy with like they didn't like do you know the thing where like everybody showed up for like two seconds, but but Auntie like, M uh, was there. Who was there? Auntie M. It's a, yes. it's a whiz- yeah, it's a Wizard of Oz reference. <laughs> you should know these things as a David Lynch fan. Well, yeah, that's a good point. Um, yeah, it was really good. It, and yeah, like they really recreated the time period well, I think. It made it seem like being a teenager at that point in time in Texas was like the coolest shit in the world. Like there's one scene in particular where you're like at, I think it's the Sportatorium. Is that the place? where like? And like, Yeah, that sounds right. Yeah, like fans are going crazy and like they're like tailgating at the wrestling show and it just like seemed like a lot of fun. So it was a very good movie. Nice. I saw Saltburn, which I recommend people check out. I think that was probably after our last record that I watched that. Yeah, I saw that you recommended it in the Discord. Yeah, it's, it's, uh, you know, this has been a year of like very weirdly sexual movies in in a lot of cases. Uh, You know, 2023, I, I guess maybe as a reaction to pandemic and people were just kind of at home and couldn't bone for a couple of years or whatever that they ended up writing all these scripts that were horny as hell, but like between poor things and some of the stuff in the curse, which like, you know, it's a TV show, not a movie, but, mm-hmm. uh, and, uh, Saltburn, I'm, I'm being like challenged on a regular basis by like the pretty, you know, gnarly sexual stuff in movies. And and I love it. I mean, I think that's cool. Let's let's make you know more weird movies. I disagree. After seeing the sex scene in episode one of The Curse, I would rather not ever see sex in a movie or a TV show ever again. How much of The Curse have you seen? Just the first episode. Oh, okay. I would say stick with it. I I'm, you know, I'm not a huge fan of it so far but it is i feel like it's starting to finally get its hooks into me after like i think i've seen six episodes now and i haven't liked any of them but you know much like you've said about other movies in the past i also it kind of burrows into my brain and i can't stop thinking about it sometimes so i think there's something there i think it's worth continuing it's but it is so different than what i expected yeah yeah me too so that, yeah, that's part of what's put me off about it. Just that it's, I expected, I didn't expect it to be all scripted, which it appears to be. Um, yeah. I didn't I, expect I it, it to be mostly about cuckoldry either. That's actually not what it's about. Like it, I feel like that <laughs> first episode kind of sets up um, the wrong expectations about what the show is about, but who knows? Maybe in the end it will be about cuckoldry because I, I haven't finished the whole show yet. Okay. Yeah. I, I'll, yeah, I'll eventually watch the second episode, but after that first one, I was just like, all right, how, how much penis talk can we have in one, one episode of a show? Just give me a silly plan, you know, like a silly business plan. That's all I want in life. Did you enjoy seeing Nathan Fielder, you know, in a scripted acting role? Did, were you impressed with his chops? Uh, yeah, he's actually, yeah, he's really good. I mean, he's, yeah. he's in there with two really good actors and Emma Stone and Benny Safdie and he's, he's just as good. He's really good. 
Yeah, I, I think that's the real kind of triumph of this show, if there is one, is the fact that like you got three actors on this show who are giving it their all, you know, and the material it gets pretty weird in some of these episodes. And uh, yeah, it's just cool to see like talented actors do their thing. But I, I still, I'm not fully sure what the hell the show's about. Yeah. Speaking of Nathan Fielder, though, I saw another movie that he has a very small role in that may be of interest to you. Um, I watched Marcel, The Shell with Shoes. Oh, I've been wanting to see that because that's, uh, that's Jenny Slate and Dean Fleischer Camp, the Catherine guy. Yeah, yeah. And it's very good. It is a very emotional movie. And that shell is very cute. I would I would say check it out. It's very good. Nice. Yeah, I, I like googly eyes as much as the next guy. Yeah. And it has a little bit of that same kind of vibe as David and Catherine, where it's like sort of sort of strange. It's like it's more earnest. Like if you took something like David or Catherine and like injected actual earnest emotion into the weirdness of it, the surreality, then that's that's kind of what it is. It's I actually same think thing. what you're saying right there describes the curse pretty well in terms of what I've been feeling in these past few episodes is that it it does feel a lot like Catherine where there are these like long kind of drawn out scenes where people are just kind of standing around silently and then something like slightly, I don't know, uncanny valley will happen. Um, definitely getting Catherine vibes with the curse. Okay. Well, I'll keep going with that. With that show, then? Yeah, I think you should. Yeah. But are well, there any other goals or resolutions you may have, Sean Byron? Yeah, well, I think that we should probably talk about our our view year resolutions, as as I'm so hilariously terming it. Not not a new year resolution, a view year resolution. And I'm not talking pixels here. You know, I'm not talking 1080p resolutions. Uh, <laughs> I figured, you know, you and I could list out a, a few things that we're trying to accomplish this year in our viewing. Um, I feel like every year I, I, I usually tend to have some things in mind for like, I want to tackle this filmmaker or I want to do this or that. Oftentimes I get, you know, 30% of, of the way into the project and then kind of jump ship before the, you know, the year is done, but, uh, this year could be different. Who knows? So, um, yeah, let's, let's dive into, you know, some view year resolutions here. You got one? Yeah, I've got one. Um, it's kind of a basic one, uh, a little bit to some degree, but, you know, looking at my, like, you know, getting ready to make our 2023 lists and everything. Like I was looking at my list of on letterboxd of all the things I liked and it's all like kind of basic stuff this year. And I think that it's probably been like that since the pandemic um, for multiple reasons. Like in years past, like I would scour the depths of Tubi and find the most obscure stuff to make sure I had anything that I could ever want to be on my list, you know, to make sure I watched everything and and found, you know, no stone went unturned in my search for finding my top 10 movies of the year. And then the pandemic happened and everything kind of halted. And then also now like streamers will just put shit out and like never tell you. Um, yeah. So like David Fincher, like 
the greatest director of all time. Like he just had a movie drop on Netflix and like nobody cared, you know, like, <laughs> and uh, a couple years ago, David or David Richard Linklater put out a movie that like, I didn't even find out about until like six months later, like shit just comes out now. And yeah, yeah th- there's a lot of that going on. And, and I, I don't know how you solve that. Like, because I, I feel like the, the reason that you know about a lot of theatrical releases is like, there's like a lot of money on the line of like, we got to get butts and seats or we're like losing money on this. Whereas it feels like the kind of the, the way that they put together these streaming projects is just like kind of in bulk. And it's like, you know, as long as we have enough movies, one of them might do well, but we don't need to necessarily invest like a ton of money, like in awareness or advertising. Cause we're not going to make any money directly off this movie maybe that's mm-hmm. the case I'm, I'm actually not sure yeah i yeah i have no idea the thinking that like netflix and, the, and these streamers do i mean at least some of the other streamers will like try a little bit you know like when when something big comes out like you know amazon puts a lot of promotional stuff out for i mean maybe their tv shows more than more than movies but but yeah netflix will just be like yeah, every every Friday a bunch of stuff drops. Watch it or don't, and then we'll leave it up to Twitter to make one of them viral. And then that's the marketing, I guess. They don't even do a great job of like telling you what is coming out. Like I, I have to go mm-hmm. to like very bizarre like third party websites like comicbookresources.com or something to find out like what's coming to Netflix in a given month. And it shouldn't be that way. I mean, like we used to just have like, you know, when we were kids, you had TV Guide would tell you what would be on TV next week. Can I get some kind of streaming guide that is like from these streamers and has like good, accurate info rather than like a, just a bunch of weird lists from random bloggers? Yeah. And when Netflix does promote stuff, it's like confusing and counterintuitive. Like I've been seeing nothing but commercials for that new, oddly named uh, Beverly Hills Cop 4 movie, which is called Beverly Hills Cop Axel F. Oh, boy. I- I guess is a reference to the song. Like I'm, I, I think that maybe they're trying to use the song as like an algorithmic tool for, I don't know. AI named the movie, but yeah, I've been seeing nothing but commercials for that. And then it just says coming soon. It's like, well, what the fuck is the point? Like, tell me when it's coming. I want to like, I want to watch it when it's out. Like, I don't know. And yeah. then, and then they're doing the same thing with that Zack Snyder movie. Kind of like that new one. That was supposed to be his Star Wars movie just dropped on Netflix. And the marketing behind it is like, the movie's out, but in a couple of months, we're going to release the unrated director's cut, and that's better. So watch that. It's like, well, just put that out. Like, well, what the fuck are we doing? Like, you're wasting my time with this shitty cut. I don't know. It's Netflix is weird. They baffle me. Yeah. And overall, I'm, I'm not a Netflix fan. I've always found their service to be kind of overpriced and has very few movies on offer that are of interest to me, but I do want to watch that killer movie before my current month of subscription lapses. Cause it'll, it'll probably be a while before I get back to Netflix, but uh, yeah, I think I got yeah. like a week left, so I, I should be able to make time for the killer. That's, that's a good one. It is a good one, but yeah. So, so my resolution is to try to track down more of the, the hidden gems and the obscure films before the last couple of weeks of the end of the year before I'm making my list to try to try to find those. Uh, cause yeah, I think all the movies I like this year, I think I, I think I saw like 95% of them in a movie theater because 
they were the big things I knew about. So I just want to try to find those hidden gems. For me, like a good way to keep on top of new releases like that is to just follow people with good taste on Letterboxd. And then like, oh yeah, yeah. usually my, you know, popular with friends feature on Letterboxd will be populated with interesting new movies. You know, it doesn't always work. Cer- certainly things slip through the cracks, but uh, that's, that's been one approach that has worked for me. Yeah. I follow a lot of people who are really into like full moon movies. That's, <laughs> yeah. That may not, I mean, it may not work too well for me, but yeah. Specifically, you will have to unfollow Dustin Ferguson on Letterboxd <laughs> in order for this ploy to work. I think that's a good idea. Uh, well, my, what about you? Yeah. My, my first uh, view year resolution is I've been meaning to do a uh, Hayao Miyazaki deep dive kind of a, a re-dive because i've seen all the guys movies before but i i never sat down and watched them like all together you know they've come out over a span of what for 40 years now i guess and i've been watching them over a span of i don't know 25 years or something and um i think it would be a rewarding experience to sit down and watch them chronologically from start to finish i think he's probably got about a what, maybe a, a dozen or so features. So it's not the most insurmountable set of films. You know, it's not like doing a Hitchcock or, or something like that. Pretty manageable. And I, I think I could also probably squeeze in um, some of his like other kind of non-directorial work. Like I've been meaning to watch more of the stuff that he did early in his career when he was just an animator, you know, before he was a, an actual director. Uh, or do you, you know, or watch some of the the short films that he did in between his features and stuff like this. So, um, I, you know, I saw Boy and the Heron twice in theaters. I might go see it a third time, maybe if I can before it leaves theaters. I fucking loved it, and it's got me all jazzed up to uh, to revisit and and you know re enjoy all all the Miyazakis. I have only seen one Miyazaki. I, I do want to see the new one, but I I think the closest is playing is Fresno. Um, so I haven't gone yet. You got to see it. Yeah. But see any of them. If if you start at the beginning, you know, the first feature, Nausicaa, Valley of the Wind is great. I think you would love it. It's really good. Yeah. I've heard a lot of good things. I mean, I, I wasn't, what, which one did we watch? Princess Mononoke? Yeah. I wasn't, I liked it. I wasn't the hugest fan, but I, I did like it. So I feel like. I feel like watching more of them is in my best interest. Yeah. Nausicaa's got like cool kind of sandwormy guys in it and all kinds of okay. weird beasts that I think you might enjoy. Okay. I want to see the one about the pig who flies a, a plane. Oh yeah. I think Por- that one looks good. Porcaroso. Yeah. They play in theaters a lot, like all of them. So it's probably pretty easy to, to catch up with these. Yeah. Yeah. Go out to your next Ghibli fest. Mm-hmm. Well, what's your uh, what's your next uh, re- resolution here? Um, well, my next one is that uh, I want this to be a free year. You know, I I just kind of want to avoid all the movies by this filmmaker. Not really a filmmaker, but you know, kind of a filmmaker. Um, and that's Jules Verne. I just kind of want. Oh, I don't want to see any Jules Verne. This is movies. not a real resolution. <laughs> I just want to avoid this guy's output for the whole year. Okay, well, then good news, because coming to Criterion in February, 
the recently unearthed short films collection of Roger Ebert. <laughs> oh, 15 no. short films he shot on the Pixelmatic camera. Oh, no. Some of them have been hand-tinted in three colors. <laughs> oh, it's even worse. This is not your um, actual resolution, though. Well, not not really. But I I do, I mean, kind of. Well, I mean, I'm not lying about that. But also, that's not my real one. My real one is that I want to avoid Dustin Ferguson movies. Really? I'm so yeah. proud of you. <laughs> I've watched like 30 of his movies so far. They're all bad. And, and what have you learned from the experience? I've learned that, that sometimes a motherfucker can devote his whole life to something he just hates and has disdain for, <laughs> like the, <laughs> the medium of film. And it all came to a head a couple of weeks ago because Dustin Ferguson came out and he said, all my movies up to this point have all been like shitty cra- cash grabs that I made like just to put something on a shelf and try to sell it like like the way Asylum does, you know, they just have a cool cover and people accidentally buy this thing thinking it's a real movie. But my new movie, I'm actually trying and it's going to be really good. That's what he said about his new movie, Spider Baby, a Spider Baby remake. Okay. Anyway, fuck it. <laughs> and this may be his worst movie, the one he was actually trying. So I, I got to cut it out. I got to stop watching this guy's movies. I got I to gotta cut him loose. I can't keep hate watching these things anymore because uh, it's just not real. These aren't real movies at all. I mean, especially when there's so much Melrose Place to be watching. Well, Melrose Place is good. This is a quality show. I mean, it didn't take That's the 90s by storm for nothing. Yeah. I heard it's the Peyton Place of the 90s. That is actually true. I, that is true. I think that they were very influenced by Peyton Place when they, when they made that show. Yeah. Well, uh, I am proud of you, though. I, I think this is a good resolution. I, you know, I think... Uh, it might not be easy. I know that you, you know, you've built up sort of a dependence on, on the substance of Dustin Ferguson over the years, whatever that substance might be. And, you know, going cold Turkey, it's, it's going to be rough, but I, I think you'll, you'll be a better man for it. I think you're right. I mean, he puts out like seven movies a year, so it is tough. You know, they always pop up in my 2B algorithm, so it will probably be kind of tricky to avoid these, but. But I think, I'll, yeah, it's the right thing to do. Yeah. Well, one thing that I want to accomplish this year is I'm looking to kind of like diversify the wrestling that I have in my life. And, uh, you know, what I mean by that is I, I spent most of 2023 pretty much only watching WWE when I was in the mood for wrestling. Part of that is that I already had Peacock for the entire year and it was just easy to tune in on there and you know it's it's also just one of those things where i feel like if you're going to be into wrestling you should at least have kind of a baseline knowledge of what's happening at like the highest level and then you know if there are other promotions or areas of interest that you want to dive into like cool but don't be the guy that's only like i only know about this super indie thing and i have absolutely no eyeballs on what the mainstream product is which, I, you know, maybe that's not the worst thing in the world, but I, for whatever reason, I just felt like I should. It's it's my responsibility to to have some kind of uh, 
knowledge of the mainstream. So I feel like I'm there. I feel like I've seen enough shitty wrestling from, uh, <laughs> you know, from Greenwich. Um, and I'm, I'm ready to, to broaden my horizon. So over the break, I did sign up for both the New Japan and Stardom uh, streaming services. And I was enjoying a, a whole lot of uh, Japanese progress. Um, and I'm hoping, I'm not sure if it exists, but I'm, I'm hoping there is some way for me to gain access to like the big Mexican matches. Like, I'm, I'm not sure what the options are for that. Like, do those promotions have like streaming footprints? Can I stream those cool Lucha tournaments from AAA or, or whatever that I used to, you know, uh, get on bootleg videotapes from guys in Mexico when I was a kid or am I just kind of shit out of luck? I'm, I'm not sure, but, but overall, yeah, I'm, I'm just trying to, you know, I'm going to still enjoy wrestling this year, but try to enjoy it, you know, in a more diverse sense. Yeah. Uh, I think AAA stuff is pretty, pretty easy to find. Um, I think you can get like the pay-per-views and stuff, but, um, yeah, that's a, that's a good plan. Stardom is their YouTube channel is really great. Like they put a lot of matches there. Um, yeah, they just put the whole pay-per-view up for their, their like uh, most recent pay-per-view a couple days ago. It's like four and a half hours long or something for free on the YouTube. Yeah. They're wonderful. They have good matches there. They're fun. Um, I haven't watched a lot of New Japan. I don't know. I'm kind of, like that's like a big blind spot for me is like actual Japanese wrestling. Like I like when those guys come over here and form Kayentai and chop off Valvina's sure. PP and stuff. But uh, yeah, it's kind of a big blind spot for me. Um, outside of like super death matches and stuff, I guess that I watch on YouTube from time to time. But did you yeah. see any of those Will Ospreay matches this past year in New Japan? I, I caught up with some of those, like Will Ospreay versus Kenny Omega and stuff like this. I've not. I've seen some Kenny Omega stuff, but I don't think I've ever seen a Will Ospreay match. He's a, he's a pretty intense competitor. I, I was really impressed with some of this stuff uh, from Will Ospreay this year. And Kenny Omega, I love the fact that he looks almost identical to like a buff version of that dude Grant from the Egyptian and Aero theaters, you know, the guy that hosts oh, the yeah. corn Gorn. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Every time I see that guy, I just, uh, it just reminds me of Grant, who I, who I love. So That's understandable. Yeah, he's good, too. Well, what other resolutions you got? Well, this is my big resolution. And I, I actually started it already with by watching uh, Marcel, the show with shoes on. Um, but my... On Letterboxd, they give you a list, a mathematical uh, ranking of all like your highest rated directors and, and actors. And I want to watch all of the movies I haven't seen by the people on my highest rated actors list. That way I can have the most mathematically sound rankings of my favorite directors. Um, just for fun. Like it's weird though, because like my two favorite directors are Brian De Palma and Richard Linklater, neither of whom are on this list. So, uh, math. Sometimes you just got to go with your heart, I guess, rather than math. But, but there's a you know there's a bunch of guys on here that I haven't seen all of their movies, like um, Hitchcock, obviously Frank Perry, Verhoeven. I'm missing a few. Um, Scorsese. Uh, couple of these other guys. So I just want to watch all the rest of the ones that I haven't seen that way. 
my list is solid and takes in everybody's work into account to get the nice, perfectly mathematical rankings. Now, when you say Alfred Hitchcock, are you referring to Alfred Hitchcock, the Hollywood film director, or are you willing to also include his very British earlier output? Uh, I mean, I guess I'm, I guess I'm going to have to watch that, but I know it's probably going to move him down in the rankings significantly, but I, I still do have like a handful of his American movies I haven't seen, I think, but, but yeah, I'll probably watch them all. That's it's a tall order. I, I tried to do this a couple of years ago and I did not get very far, but, um, I remember enjoying the lodger. I remember enjoying the 39 steps. Like there's some good stuff there in the early movies, but a lot of it is either like tricky to get your hands on, or you do get your hands on it and it's in like really crummy condition, just looks like crap. And so that kind of demotivated me to, to plow through that early stuff. I wish yeah. there was just like a, like a nice single collection on the Criterion channel where I could just get access to all of it or something. But it was kind of a, annoying to track down the Hitchcocks. Yeah. I got like a big box set from the library a couple of years ago that had like 25 of his early movies, like all in like real stupid, like super shitty quality. So I didn't watch any of them, but yeah, I, I feel like there's probably like some cheap box set out there with all of them. But yeah, they are. You really only see like the same ones over and over on even on Criterion and all the other streamers. Like it's really just the American ones you see. Yeah. Yeah, you you would think a, a Mill Creek or somebody would have our backs out there on this. That's my resolution. Watch all those directors, fill in those gaps. I love it. Well, my final resolution is maybe it sounds kind of counterintuitive because I, I just mentioned that I signed up for two new streaming services, but in 2024, I'm looking to spend less money on streamers. I feel like my own personal streaming, uh, you know, collection or you know the the, you know, the lineup of streamers that I've got on my Apple TV at the moment, uh, it's getting out of control. And and it's one of those things where I just, you know, I'll want to watch something and I'll be like, okay, I guess I got to add Paramount Plus or I got to add Netflix or I got to add this, I got to add that. And before you know it, you're you know subscribed to all of the streamers, and you're spending hundreds of dollars per month on streaming. Uh, and you know those dollars are going to companies that I don't necessarily feel great about supporting. So like, you know, it's one thing to send you know ten bucks or fifteen bucks a month to a, a fledgling Japanese pro wrestling company, or to to send my hard earned bucks over to Criterion or even Aero video. Like I, I feel good about those, but you know, every month sending a, you know, a few, few bills over to uh, your universals or your Netflixes. I don't know, man, it, it bums me out every time I, I see that I'm doing that. So uh, trying to be more thrifty this year with, with streamers trying to mine my own physical media collection, rewatch stuff that I've, haven't seen in a while or, you know, there's plenty of stuff I've got on hand that I have not even cracked the seal on. So, uh, I think I got to do a better job at, you know, watching the stuff that I already own. Yeah, that is something I need to do as well. We just got rid of like a bunch of the streamers we had, um, but certainly not all of them. Uh, but yeah, but like, I find that like, I like even stuff that I own, like I'll just stream it 
rather than go through all the trouble of like walking over to the bookcase and finding the DVD and putting it in, you know? Yeah. Which is not a good way to spend $15 a month. Like not a good reason to spend that money. So I'm with you. This sounds like a good plan. My big barrier at the moment for fully enjoying my, you know, already purchased physical media that I have in my house is really embarrassing because what it is, is that my DVD slash Blu-ray player is positioned in such a way that it's like facing away from my couch, which means if I want to use the remote to pause or do anything on the, you know, on the Blu-ray player, I got to get up from the couch just ever so slightly and crane my arm around so that I can reach the player, you know, and it's, the way that my whole setup is like, I don't have another good place at the moment for the Blu-ray player unless I like put it on the floor, I guess. And it's, and it's that little bit of effort that I have to like, just stand up slightly and crane my arm <laughs> that makes streaming like way more desirable for me. And so I, mm-hmm. I've also become extremely lazy and I'll just stream stuff that I've got on Blu-ray. I'll be watching it in worse quality on a streamer you know, knowing that I've got a a great, you know, looking disc just sitting right there under my TV, but I can't be bothered to get up and put the disc in and then have to be craning my arm. Yeah. That's how they get you. That convenience. Yeah. I get, there's probably a workaround. I don't know. Maybe I can put a mirror, a strategically placed mirror somewhere that I could bounce my remote control, uh, rays off of. I think that's what I need to look into. (laughs) Yeah, I think that could help. That's what they shoot, right? Rays. I've got a ray gun in my hand when I've got a DVD remote. I think so, yeah. Infrarays, right? Yeah. It is it's it is IR, I think, right? That's, or is that infrared? I don't, know. I don't know. What is an IR? I'm sure it gives you cancer, whatever it is. Yeah. I'm a fan of Japanese movies. <laughs> well, I, that's a great segue because I do have an honorable mention resolution, uh, which is that I want to watch the movie Throne of Blood. Oh. <laughs> That's it. Just throwing okay. that out there. Yeah, you <laughs> should see it. it. It's great. Yeah, it looks pretty good. I think Ebert yeah. specifically is a big fan of that one. So He does love Japanese movies. Yeah. But uh, yeah, hopefully I get to watch it one day. Yeah, the, with the great Toshiro Mifune. Mm-hmm. Well, what uh, what samurai Shakespeare adaptations do you think uh, those fine folks out there in junk food Supperland have been watching themselves? Do we know? Will they tell us? I demand I to know. <laughs> I think they will tell us. Uh, we have one. Uh, we got a few this week. Uh, so here's one by one of everybody's favorites. Live from New York, it's Mr. My apologies for that. Uh, I want to wish you guys a Happy New Year. Happy New Year to everybody in Junk Food Dinner and Junk Food Supperland. And I have a recommendation for 
sci-fi February. And no, it is not Star Trek. So relax, Sean Byron. Um, I would hope you guys would strongly consider, if not do, Flash Gordon from 1980. Um, I know I've said that a bunch on the Discord, but I think that'd be really cool if you guys did Flash Gordon for Sci-Fi February. That's up and coming. Not sure if you have that picked already or if you have the movies picked out yet, but uh, that's my two cents. So Happy New Year, everyone. Uh, Love the show as always. Thanks for taking my call and peace. Thank you, Mr. Brian. That's a fine idea. I know that's one of the ones uh, that we've been talking about doing for 17 years now. Uh, so it very well could be. We have not picked the movies yet for Sci-Fi February. Um, but that very well could be the answer. I, I That's another movie I want to see, even though Shakespeare was not involved, nor was Akira Kurosawa. Yeah. Do we know, uh, are we doing a Sci-Fi February theme on Supper as well? Like, do we want to, because I know this great series of science fiction movies, kind of seminal, honestly, and the foundation of science fiction as a genre from this guy, Jules Verne, about (laughs) journeying to the center of the earth. I think those might be a perfect fit for our Supper weeks that month. Hey, pal, you got a small wiener. <laughs> <laughs> I disagree. Um, we've already done, no, we've already done all of the Jules Verne movies. So I don't think that that would be good. H.G. Wells, though. Now that is a Victorian okay. era sci-fi writer you can, you can really hang your hat on. Don't worry. We'll get to Wells and Burroughs once we're <laughs> no. done with these Verns. <laughs> no. Once we're done burrowing to the center of the earth. Well, um, I've never seen that Flash Gordon, though, I don't think. Yeah, I've not. I've seen Ted, the movie about the talking teddy bear. And that movie uh, actually has a lot to do with Flash Gordon. It makes me hyped to see it. Like that teddy bear is obsessed with Flash Gordon. So it's always made me intrigued by that movie. Plus, I love Flash Gordon Cole. That's also true. Yeah. Twin Peaks. Yeah. yeah, I think Junk Food Supper should be fully sci-fied up in February. It's tradition. Okay. All right. I'll call up all my Morlock friends. Okay. Oh, you're you're going to be in Japan for a bit of that month. If oh, that serves, is true. So. Yeah. So maybe there will be some Star Trek covered on the podcast. I I think that's a good idea. Yeah. If you're not going to be here, then I'll probably do uh, first contact. I'll I'll rope somebody in to talk about the Borg with me. I love it. Love everything about it. (laughs) Uh, Well, we've got another voicemail from somebody uh, much angrier than Mr. Brian. Oh, damn. So fucking annoyed right now. I want to throw my my, my podcast device out the window. What? Sean stated that the Bouvier sisters in Grey Garden, Big Edie and Little Edie, or what inspired Marge Simpson. Tom from Adelaide said, no, it was Jackie Onassis Bouvier. You guys, fucking big Edie and little Edie Bouvier are Jackie Onassis' first cousin. Big Edie's sister is Jackie O's mom. That's the whole thing of the movie. The whole part of the movie is they come from the Bouvier family. Fuck. 
Fuck! Oh. God damn it! <laughs> Everyone was right. Stupid idiot. Thanks, Kevin. All right. Well, that's our friend Chucky. He actually called back to say some more, so we, we got to listen to that too. Oops, sorry about the two things in a row, but oops, sorry. Kevin just said that, what I just said. So disregard the last message. And thanks, Kevin. <laughs> thanks, <Sorry>. Kevin. <laughs> yeah. 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 Kevin set us straight. He did. I I would feel bad about not knowing this, but like my the, my entire life, my eyes have always just glossed over. My ears have too whenever anybody mentioned anything related to JFK. Like I think he's like, I don't know what it is. Like maybe it's like that Kevin Costner movie or something, but it's like anything relating to JFK I just think is boring. So I, uh, I don't know. So I, the, no, I knew nothing about any of this stuff is what I'm trying to say, except for the Marge Simpson connection. So I you do have to admit though that Bouvier is a fun name, you know, it makes you think mm-hmm. of kind of a bulbous bouffant, something like that. Just yeah. that the sound of it is nice. Bouvier. It is a very good name, but, but yeah, it's, it's, it's true. We we're you know, we're lost without Kevin. We are, I don't even know why you would listen to this show without Kevin, to be honest. He's got all the information you need. We need to get like, we need to get Kevin to do audio commentaries for this show. Where like, um, he just like, no, <laughs> he says like, corrects us after everything we say that is incorrect and stupid. And like oh, adds yeah, in, I like that. Yeah. Adds like an editorial layer to the show. Yeah, he, he becomes like an ombudsman and just like fact checks us and copy edits us in real time. Yeah. That's when we're done with uh, Twin Peaks, that's what the Patreon will, will be. Bonus episodes of Kevin doing audio commentaries of us. Yeah, doing a, a one man Statler and Waldorf over us. <laughs> uh, but all right, we got, uh, thank you, Shocky, for. For setting the record straight, and we got another another voicemail here. This is from our friend Randy. Hey boys, uh, this is Randy from Maryland. Just calling to wish you guys a uh, Merry Christmas, Happy Holidays. Um, wishing you, your loved ones, all the best. It's been an awesome year of podcasting. Um, uh, also, I, I've been catching up on a couple episodes, some of the past episodes recently, and. Um, Parker and Sean, you know, I forget what episode, but you guys were talking about accents. And you mentioned uh, French accents, and specifically if the the French in France kind of made fun of the French in, in uh, Quebec, in Canada, the French-Canadian accents. I'm originally from Montreal, um, not French-Canadian, but I'm from Montreal. I can confirm, yes, there is a lot of teasing that goes back and forth, but... Um, my wife is from France. She says the teasing is actually harsher from France to Belgium. So um, they really look down on the accents from uh, the folks uh, in Belgium. So who knows? Maybe it's the reason um, that kind of you know pushed Jean Claude Van Damme into becoming like you know a martial artist to defend himself against all those uh, all the insults coming from France. Who knows? Um, okay, I'm rambling. Um, Merry Christmas, all the best. Keep it up, and um, yeah, can't wait to hear uh, the recent podcast. Take care, guys. Thank you, Randy, for also setting the record straight. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I was curious to know. And like, this is this is info that even Kevin Moss doesn't hold, <laughs> as far as we know. 
he does there is a section of Cincinnati called uh, Little Little France that maybe he frequents. He he goes there a lot. Uh so maybe he knows this <laughs> stuff already. But um yeah. Yeah, that's that is interesting. I bet the French and the Belgians are constantly goofing on each other. It makes sense because, you know, in all of my years outside of, you know, the waffles, the only Belgian I ever met was this kid when I was in I think it was like freshman year of high school in my French class, we had like this exchange student kid who was from Belgium and spoke French as a result. And so, I don't know, he was there kind of helping the the teacher out or or whatever. And everybody just assumed he was from France. And so people would Mm -hmm. ask him all the time, like, Oh, what's it like in France? Oh, tell me about France or this. And he fucking hated it so much. He would, he would yell at people in the class. I'm not from France. I'm from Belgium. You know, in that in that classic <laughs> Belgian way that we all know. Mm-hmm. So, uh, I believe it. You know, and I I say the Belgians are not to be uh, trifled with. Yeah. Except during all the world wars, where they got trifled with. Yeah. Well, did they even uh, have they even fought a war? Um, I don't I think, think they've they have, got an army, do they? I'm not sure. I think they got beaten World War One at least pretty quick. Or maybe two. I don't. I got. I got to read some books. Yeah, I mean, I'll find out when your when your army is dwarfed by, you know, the massive power of your neighbors, France. <laughs> maybe don't even have an army. You know. Yeah, but they also gave birth to Jean Claude Van Damme, so they must be a fairly tough people. Yeah, I, I think right? they are on an individual level. Maybe yeah. they're they don't work well in in regiments. Could be. Uh, well, all of uh, these voicemailers they work well in regiments. I uh, loved it. Yeah, it was a wonderful regiment of callers. Mm-hmm. So if you're out there and you want to say something to us, if you want to tell us about how wrong we were about something, or let us know about uh, the accents where you live, please do by calling three. <laughs> it's not pulled up in front of me. Why do I wow. not know this after so many years? Three four seven seven four six junk. There you go. Yeah. Three four seven seven four six five eight six five or go to facebook.com slash junk food dinner and hit the call now button. Um that's that's the best way to leave a voicemail. Or if you just want to say hi to us in real life, we are gonna have a junk food dinner meetup in March, the end of March in Cincinnati, Ohio, to coincide with the horror hound. Uh, horror movie convention come out and see us all of us are going to be there all five junk food dinner hosts me and sean and kevin rusty mark julian franco um (laughs) odorous (laughs) everybody all the old hosts we're all going to be there uh and kyle from kentucky especially so yeah and, and also, for a real treat, I'm bringing along that trash can I once famously threw at a man. <laughs> you can take photos with it. <laughs> if you ask nicely. But if you ask meanly, he'll throw a trash can at you. Yeah, but not the same trash can. This one's valuable. <laughs> Different trash can. Um, well, all right. Well, on that note, I think we're going to take a quick break. And when we come back, we're going to be talking about tonight's movie, which is Scream Part 6. So stick around. Please, please help me. Just down there. Please, 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 please
You got a problem here, guy? the secret. There's a darkness inside of me. It followed me here. And it's gonna keep coming for us. We share a certain history. This isn't like any other ghost face. What is this place? A shrine. We've got to lure him in. We execute him. Hello. Let's play a game. You know you're like the tenth guy to try this, right? It never works out for the dipshit in the mask. Maybe. But there's never been one like me, Gale. <laughs> I'm something... different. That's why I'm gonna shoot you in the head. You want me. So let's finish this. Guys? Welcome back to the show. The movie this evening is Scream 6. This is a movie that came out in 2023. Uh, it's directed by Matt Bettinelli Open and Tyler Gillett, better known as Radio Silence, the directors of uh, The Scream Before This Scream, and also Ready or Not. Um, and they also did segments in the first VHS and Southbound. The first VHS, um, they probably did the best segment of. I really like their segment there. Um, hmm. I was a big I, fan of that one. I think we also got the same writers on this one as the last movie, I think. I think so. Is it? I think it's them. Yeah, it's... Uh, oh, no, it's not. I thought that they wrote and directed. No, it's James Vanderbilt and Guy Busick who wrote... Oh, wow. These are very strange movies. Um, Guy Busick wrote with Radio Silence. So I think he's a Radio Silence guy. He wrote um, the previous Scream and Ready or Not. And then yeah, the other guy, James Vanderbilt, Vanderbilt did ID four, right? Yeah, he did Independence Day, uh, The Amazing Spider-Man two, The Amazing Spider-Man, and Zodiac, a David Fincher masterpiece. Um, so and yeah, then, like and some then, Adam Sandler movies, I think maybe like Jennifer Aniston straight to Netflix rom coms or something. Yeah, the two murder mystery movies. And The Rundown with The Rock, which is a pretty good movie. So kind of a weird career on that guy. Yeah, very weird. Um, yeah, so the these guys brought Scream back 
and 2022, I think, and and did sort of a reboot sequel. They and it was they so, pulled it away from the Weinstein's, right? Yeah, away from Dimension. That they did. So good for them for doing that. Um, and it was a wild success, and so they followed it up really quickly. Um, and so so yeah, so this is the follow up to that. After the goings on of the last Scream movie, a ghost face comes back and haunts Woodsboro again. Uh, like a year Hans later, Woodsboro again. Or yeah, you're talking about the last movie. Yeah, that was the last. Oh, okay, movie. okay. I thought you were talking about this. I'm like, that's. I, I know it was not exactly New York, but it also was not Woodsboro. Yeah. Well. Yeah. Well, it was definitely not New York. But yeah. So the the two the two survivors and their friends, played by Melissa Barrera and Jenna Ortega, who play Sam Carpenter and Tara Carpenter. See, they're named after John Carpenter. It's a very witty homage. Yeah, that's, you think it's witty? I would say that's kind of a craven maneuver. <laughs> that's a good one. Um, yeah, they're living in New York now. They're trying to put the past behind them, trying to forget about the fact that they were chased by a killer and that one of them is the daughter of uh, one of the killers from the first movie. They are going to college with their friends, uh, played by Mason Gooding and Jasmine Savoy Brown. Um, who are who, related by the way, to, that Mason kid, that's the kid of, uh, of one Cuba Gooding Jr. Indeed it is. Yeah. yeah I didn't know that until post post watching it. I looked him up on Wikipedia. Yeah. He's a good looking young man. Yeah. Very clean cut. Yeah. So, so they're not here in New York, uh, very long before the murders start again. Um, we get it. Like with all the screen movies, we get uh, a, an opening scene where the most famous person in the movie, played by Samara Weaving in this, um, is stalked by a killer. And this movie kind of throws you for a loop in the beginning because, A, they say it takes place in New York, but the first scene is um, kind of centers around an alleyway, which do not exist in New York. Uh, <laughs> yes, but, and certainly if there is an alleyway in New York, it's not going to be the brightest and cleanest looking environment you've ever seen in your life. Like it looks like an aisle in like a brand brand new Target or something, you know, just like <laughs> spick and span. <laughs> I mean, I'm pretty sure like every corner of New York City is covered in rats, right? And there's like mm-hmm. none to be seen. Yeah, yeah, it's it's clearly canada it's really weird because they do make you know this is like the whole crux of this is that you know it's scream in new york and they do make some references to jason takes manhattan but then yeah it's kind of odd that they make all the same mistakes where like it's not new york at all like even the scenes scenes that seem like new york are because they're filmed on a green screen and they've just superimposed parts of new york in the background like there's no new york here at all it never feels like New York ever. To me, I, I thought this was you know even worse than Jason Takes Manhattan in terms of its non New Yorkiness. It, it really it feels like it could just be set in any generic city. Like there's there's really nothing distinctly New York about the entire movie. So mm-hmm. that did bum me out. And it's one of those things where it's like you know just don't don't sell me something that you can't deliver. Like the for me the I'm the most exciting part of this whole scream six proposal was Ghostface takes Manhattan, you know, like I thought that would sounded cool mm-hmm. and you, and it's, there's nothing like that in this. So 
I don't know. That, that killed. I mean, and it's not exclusive to this movie. I feel like every fucking horror movie is supposed to be in Texas, but it's actually Croatia or it's supposed to be New York and it's actually Montreal or it's people are never shooting where they should be, but it, it's, it's getting to the point where I'm just really frustrated with it. Yeah. It's, I mean, it really serves no purpose. Like if they would have just gone to college in any town, like, I mean, it's like, why not? It's like, we're all going to go see scream anyway. Like, no, I don't know that like, yeah, like, like you said, like why promise it if you're not going to deliver it? It's like, just, we would be fine with scream taking place in nondescript Northern California town. Like we, it, that's fine. That's what screams about. So I don't know, but yeah, which, which that you can shoot nondescript NorCal town pretty much wherever you want. You can shoot that in North Carolina. I don't really care that much, but like, you can't sell me New York. You can't sell me LA, like specific places that are ingrained into our cultural minds. And then give me something that is like, so clearly not New York. Yeah. And I don't even know what purpose it would serve. Like with Jason, it was like, all right, everything's getting weird. Like we had a psychic in the last one. Jason turned into a zombie. The one before that, like we're getting weird with it. We need, you know, like, yeah. And, and the Muppets were just here. We're going to, you know, push <laughs> them out of town. Yeah. But here it's like, why sit it in New York? I mean, I guess just to have an excuse for Gail Weathers to be in it, I guess, but she's in all of them. So you don't really need that. I don't know. Yeah. The whole thing's kind of weird, but, but yeah. So in this opening scene, um, when I saw this, I saw this like the weekend it came out. I was like really hyped on this opening scene at first for like two seconds because this movie does something that has never happened before. Where like the killer, every you know, every scene, every movie has a scene where like somebody gets killed in the beginning, and that happens here. But instead of like the person getting killed and then going to the credit sequence, we linger on Ghostface, and then he takes off his costume, and then he like just goes home. And I was like, holy shit, this is gonna be the most amazing movie I've ever seen. Like, what a great way to subvert Scream the way that Scream subverted like Halloween is to just have the killer be the main character. We follow him around. We see how he does it in real time. Like, yeah, the identity is no longer a secret. You know, that's, that's not the point of the movie now. Yeah. And, and then, so I was like, wow, this is going to be really great. Where are they going to go with this? Like for the first time in like five movies, I was like, oh my God, where is Scream going to go? This is crazy. But it's like all just a gag. And then a different Scream killer shows up to kill this Scream killer. And then, and then it's just kind of the status quo from there. And it's really disappointing. Like this movie has a lot of cool ideas that they do nothing with. It's, it's kind of sad. Yeah. And then, go ahead. Well, I mean, I, I do agree that it was kind of a lost opportunity there. And I had the same feeling. I'm like, Oh, they're doing kind of a Columbo here or something where it's going to be kind of a, like a role reversal up top and, and we'll be with the killer for a bit. And then, yeah, they, they just threw it all away. Yeah. And then even when that happens, I thought that they were going to do something cool as well, because like the kill, like when the new scream killer shows up and he kills this ghost face, like, um, the first ghost face is like, Oh, we're just trying to finish the movie. And then he gets killed. And then the, the new ghost face is like, well, fuck movies. And it's like, Oh, okay. Well maybe that's a cool idea. Maybe we're going to have a ghost face that doesn't care about playing by the rules of movies and like, that'll be the way to subvert it is like, we're no longer playing by slasher movie rules. So anything's on the table. 
But then this movie has more to do with the previous movies and with slashers than any of the other ones. Like the whole thing is about like previous scream movies and like much more than other ones. So they don't even do that. So, well, even though at the same time they are trying to make the claim that it's not like there are characters in this giving, you know, the classic long scream speech about the rules of horror movies and, and the driving point this time seems to be like, well, this is a, do they say it's a requel or they or it's a sequel to a requel? And mm-hmm. because it's a sequel to a requel, that means all of the rules are, are off and, and nothing that applied before should be considered. And then meanwhile, like almost every scene in this movie is a carbon copy of a scene from a previous screen movie. Like how many times have we seen the row of journalists after a, a murder occurs and then Gail Weathers gets into like an incident there, you know, with one mm-hmm. of the victims like that. That's every scream movie. And, and, you know, most of the scenes in this are some version that felt like to me of stuff that we had already seen. Yeah. Like I, I feel like they think they're trying to do clever stuff with stuff like that because yeah, Gail Weathers shows up and then one of the main girls punches her like, Sydney would do in like the first three scream movies when Gail showed up, but like Gail dodges out of the way. And it's like, like, I think that the, the directors think that like, that's the big subversion is that Gail moved out of the way during the punch. And it's like, no, the subversion would be to do something completely different <laughs> and not have the main character take a punch at Gail Weathers. Like, uh, so yeah. So a yeah. lot of this movie is frustrating. If you can't tell from, <laughs> from the way we're talking about it. Um, so yeah, so then after that, Ghostface uh, calls the two main characters and we have like kind of interesting scene here at the beginning. Like this movie also takes place at Halloween, which obviously um, it steals a bit from the movie Halloween, but it does some, it does steal a really great bit from Halloween, which is that everybody's wearing costumes. So Ghostface Killer can just walk around as he pleases, which I think is a really great idea. Um, and also in this universe, Ghostface is like Freddy or Dracula or something. So it makes sense that everybody's walking around in Ghostface outfits. So it's, it's a really cool idea. So the first or one of the first like Ghostface attacks we get is in a crowded convenience store. And so that's kind of a subversion. He's doing things out in the open and he starts shooting people with a gun, which is kind of interesting for, I don't know if I necessarily need that in a slasher movie, but. Although I think Terrifier does it too. So I don't know, maybe it's cool, but like. Although I, I think that makes sense when you consider the identity of Ghostface that we learn later yeah. on that, you know, a gun would be probably this, you know, person's method of choice. That's definitely true. And I, you know, these, these two new screen movies are saying a lot about like, kind of like that kind of like incel violence and gun violence that have like kind of plagued us the last few years. So yeah, it would definitely make sense for, for a ghost face to use a gun when that's kind of the thing you're commenting on. Um, so, so yeah, so I don't know. I'm kind of cool with it. Um, and, and yeah, so like this actually might be one of the cooler scenes in the movie just because it's so very different from anything we've gotten before. And I think um, we all love a convenience store shootout, you know, whether it's Cobra or, you know, even just a convenience store slasher scene, you know, in like a movie like, uh, what is that? The, the, the Raimi one. 
Intruder. Um, yeah. That's what it's yeah. called. Yeah. Yeah. I, I just love, yeah, I love action in the aisles, you know? And yeah. uh, it's cool to see it here. Yeah. Yeah. This is a fun scene. There are fun scenes, which is makes the movie all the more frustrating. Like the stuff that doesn't work because there's so much here that could could work and does work. Um like this scene. Um there's a party scene around the same time, which is like kind of Kind of an odd party scene. One of the characters, Mindy, who is sort of like this franchise's uh, Randy, who's like the movie nerd who knows all the rules. There's a part there that really irks me where someone asks her like, hey, why would you come to a big party knowing that you almost got killed at a big party like this? And she's like, oh, well, it's like lightning striking. You know, it can't happen to the same person twice. But it's like, no, this character should know that because you survived a scream movie once, you're more inclined to be killed at a party, not less inclined. Like that's how these things work. Like that's the point of scream. Like, well, and I, I think that very same character gives a speech in the same movie where she says, you know, basically what I was saying earlier, like it's, this is a sequel to a requel. And so all the bets are off. And one of the things she says is including legacy characters, can die now. So she should know better, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. That's the character. Like it would make more sense if the person who said that was like her brother or Jenna Ortega, but not this character, this character should be the Randy. They should know all the rules. Like, so that irks me. Um, has a very nerdy thing to get irked by, but it does irk me. Um, so yeah, then there's some, I don't know, a lot of other crazy scenes and stuff like this. Um, there's a cool ladder scene that kind of feels like the ladder scene from judgment night, which is very tense. No, you Uh, like that ladder scene. I like that ladder scene. You didn't at at all question why somebody in a, I don't know, like 10th floor New York city apartment would just have on hand right by their window, like a 20 foot ladder (laughs) at the very precise moment that they needed it desperately. I guess because they had seen judgment night. And they knew it would be a good I way to, yeah. to add tension to the movie. Um, I mean, yeah, it makes no sense, but I mean, it's pretty tense and it ends with a cool, cool gore scene. This movie is full of those kinds of situations though, where like there is no consideration given to like, you know, is this plausible? Like, does this make any sense? It, it really does feel like the script was like written out of order or something where they're like, Oh, well, we need to get to this part of the story. So I guess we have to just have a convenient ladder here at the window, you know, or I guess we just have to let the killer Scott go away scot-free, even though we had him cornered and, you know, we had the upper hand and we very easily could have killed him or pushed him out a window or something. Like there's so many like, you know, that just infuriating moments in this, to be honest, where you're just like, do the smart thing. Like, and I know that horror movies are like full of that. It's always like, you know, don't go in the house or don't, you know, look behind you or, or all this stuff, you know. But in this movie, especially, it is just endless amounts of people doing things that make no sense just to move the story forward. Yeah, that happens a lot. It happens with Dewey in the last movie where like Dewey is safe and then he goes, oh, no, I have to take myself out of safety for no reason just to spoiler alert, get murdered. And the same thing happens here with Gail. We're like, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Gail locks herself in her room while she's being hunted by Ghostface with a gun. 
All she has to do is sit there and wait it out. If he manages to get in through the one entrance, she can shoot him and she'll be safe. But she leaves the room for no reason. Just so that the plot can can move along. Yeah, I think that these these writers definitely like paint themselves into a corner and then have to have their characters do dumb things to get out of those corners. And it's I understand that that's like a like you said, it that's a horror movie thing to some degree, but also I don't know, maybe I Scream kind of has to be held to a little bit of a higher standard because the whole franchise is based on calling out those stupid things about horror movies and then doing different things. So when you do the dumb thing, it is especially glaring, you know? Well, it's it's funny because I feel like that is that's the premise that has been sold to us with these Scream movies now for you know, what, 30 years or something that these characters grew up watching horror movies that have learned all of the tricks. Like, so, you know, it should be that much more interesting that, you know, the, you know, the, the slasher killer in these movies would have to be all the more crafty to outsmart these, these wizened kids. But I don't think that ever fucking happened. I mean, debatably, maybe Jamie Kennedy a little bit in the first movie seems to have like once in a while the right idea. But he also just gets killed pretty quickly for being, you know, uh, alone on on a sofa or, or whatever, you know. But it would be interesting. Like, I would like to I guess that's tough to write a movie where people are smart. You you yourself have to be smart in order to write that movie. But maybe we can get a smart writer to write one of these, you know, and, and actually have characters that did things that were you know uh crafty and and see how ghostface responds to that rather than just you know the same thing that you know slasher victims do in every slasher movie which is just the stupidest possible thing yeah yeah i mean well i think the first one is smart like i mean there's like the scene where uh like sydney like uh uses two doors to make it so that nobody can get in a room. Like I, I feel like there's moments like that in the first one, maybe the second one to a certain degree too, but then they, yeah, they kind of just rest on their laurels after that, I think to a large degree, but yeah. Um, yeah. So, so yeah. So from there, they're kind of off and running from Ghostface. They meet up with Kirby from part four. Um, who's an FBI agent now. There's some red herrings. There's some suspects. There's a subway scene that is very tense. Um, one of our characters gets separated from the others when they're going somewhere in a subway. And it's like, there's a very tense scene and it's like very cool. Cause like it's Halloween night. So everybody's dressed up like Freddie and it and Jason and Leatherface in the subway. It's like kind of a fun little horror movie scene. And this person clearly gets got like 100% gets straight up murdered in this scene, but they're okay. And I think that's something that happens a lot. Oh in, man. It happens in endlessly in this movie. There's another moment where like the other girl gets stabbed in the stomach in like a kitchen or something at one point and Ghostface like, brings the knife up from like belly button to sternum and he's like mm-hmm. twisting it the whole time. And then she's just fine. She's like, all right, yeah, I'm cool. Don't worry about it. <laughs> yeah. She's fine enough to be the person. Yeah. Climbing across on that ladder. Um, and then same, 
the same girl who gets got in the subway scene, she gets like slashed on her arm in that apartment scene and then she's fine. She just keeps on keeping on. But this scene especially like she gets straight up murdered in the subway. And then later on, she comes literally running up to, <laughs> to the characters at the end to tell them like, oh, I figured out who the killer is. And it's like, bro, you got stabbed like so many times. And then her brother, he gets stabbed by two ghost faces like 17 times. I think I counted. I think it was like 17 times. <laughs> He's fine at the end. And it's like, I get that that's kind of a scream thing to a certain degree, but Usually when that happens, it's Dewey, and it's like... And we all want that. We all want Dewey to survive. Yeah. Well, yeah. A, we want Dewey to survive. B, like, he had a limp in the second movie, so, like, there are some sort of consequences to this. Yeah, and also, I mean, David Arquette's a pro wrestler, so you expect him to be tough (laughs) as nails. Yeah. Um, Yeah, so it's like... The amount of stuff that these people survive is, like, pretty crazy, even by horror movie standards, by Scream standards. That Um, subway stabbing also has the thing where nobody on the train reacts to this poor girl being murdered right in front of them. Like, I I know it's Halloween night. You guys are maybe uh, at least a couple sheets to the wind. And I know mm -hmm. it's New York where, you know, nobody cares about human life or what. But at least one person would like look in that direction, maybe like (laughs) step back, you know, try and protect themselves even. But there's none of that. It's it's like she's completely invisible as she's being horrifically stabbed to death. Yeah, it seems like you could do something funny there. Where like, yeah, people notice it and then just move to the other side of the subway, or like people notice it and go, "Oh, cool, fake blood, bro. It's Halloween." But not yeah, yeah like yeah. nobody does anything. Yeah, yeah, I, that is like the way that you would expect that scene to go. It's like, oh, funny, you know, Halloween performance you guys are doing on the train or whatever, and. Maybe somebody throws a dollar bill at them like they're, you know, Halloween buskers or something. But uh, no, nothing. Just people don't look in that direction, I guess, because that's <laughs> the most convenient thing for this movie. Yeah. Yeah. There's, yeah. A lot of stuff like this where it's, yeah, whatever the most convenient thing is, that's what happens. Um, and then, yeah, so we get to the end and it's discovered who the killers are. There's three in this movie which usually there's two. So I guess that's the interesting subversion, I guess. But uh, who they are is wholly unsatisfying and very stupid, I I felt. Um, and, um, and one thing, I, I think maybe the most emblematic, like weird thing about these two new Scream movies and this one specifically is, okay, so we have three killers and then there's also the two ghost face killers from the opening scene that get murdered. So there's five ghost face killers in total here. Um, there's, I don't have my, my, <laughs> all my math in front of me, but there's like three or four deaths that happen in this movie that aren't the killers that are off screen. So I think that more, The most people who get killed in this movie, if you don't count the on off-screen ones, which are so many, like that's like a rule, a cardinal rule of slasher movies is that you shouldn't have off-screen deaths. But anyway, so like more killers get killed in this movie than victims because there are five ghost face killers that all get killed. And I think that that's such a weird way to go with a slasher movie. Like it really feels like this is these two screen movies are more like 
like kind of like empowerment stories, you know, like yeah, than any than stories about like victims being hunted by a killer. Like it really feels like, especially because like one Sam has like the special Skeet Ulrich superpowers where she's a killer. Like it really feels like the story is about these two girls killing like having this power fantasy about killing the killers who want to kill them more than it is about like horror and being afraid that killers might get you. Like, it's a really weird thing. Well, and I think that actually maybe could be interesting if you focused on it, you know, but but I agree that is there, but I don't think that they know what to really do with it. And the movie just gets kind of, lost in its own weeds and its own mythology and you know it seemingly endless desire to bring back characters from prior movies even when it makes zero sense i mean hayden from heroes in her leather jacket as an fbi agent (laughs) one of the least believable turns in a horror movie of all time just i couldn't buy a single second of that performance or that character um and she's not alone. I mean, this this movie just, I mean, CGI de-aged Billy Loomis is a giant bummer. It's it's like, mm-hmm. you don't need to, if you don't have something interesting for these characters, don't bring them back. Bring them back next time or something. Like, I don't know, man. Yeah. Like, I mean, it makes sense for Gail to be there because they're in New York and she's a news reporter. And so that's always makes it easy to get Gail involved is because she wants to report on the story. But yeah, Kirby going from like, weird horror fan in high school to FBI agent is kind of weird. Doesn't really make a whole lot of sense, but uh, yeah, like that's odd, but yeah, it just, yeah, it does seem like they, they're just bringing people back because they're supposed to bring people back in scream movies. And it also feels very cowardly that none of the, the core four, as they call them, get killed in this. Like that's, the whole fun of Scream is that your favorite characters get sliced up and murdered. Like Randy dying in part two is like one of the high points of the franchise because we love Randy so much. And because Randy being a horror nerd, he's, he's like the stand in for all of us horror nerds. Like said it for him to die is like crazy. And then like, that's what you want to do. You want to build these characters up and then kill them to make, memorable sequences in a horror movie and then they just kind of don't bother with that at all here well you know they they had other priorities like uh delivering the least authentic new york experience on film (laughs) yeah so so yeah so i like i said there's interesting stuff in here i feel like somebody better could have made like three really good movies out of all the crazy ideas that get thrown at the wall and then not used in this movie but I don't know. Very frustrating. Probably better than part five, but not very good at all. Um, what do you think? You just binged mo- like all of these in the past couple of months. Is this how does this how does this rate for you? How do you like this one? Well, yeah, I, I you know I've been watching these. Um, you know, I had seen most of them before, but hadn't seen five yet, and so I, I binged you know the, the first four up until five, and then watched five. And then just watch this. And I don't know why I did that. I don't know why I will continue to watch these movies because 
they're never very good. I mean, outside of that first one, which is great, of course, I don't really like any of these movies, but I think they just kind of connect me to a nostalgic time where I was like exactly the right age when I saw that first Scream movie that it, you know, it means something to me. And uh, I don't know, I got a soft spot for these retarded horror movies, I guess. Um, and this one is very dumb. Um, this this entry especially is, you know, very frustrating for all of the reasons that we mentioned. Um it's got a few things in its favor. You know, it's got that supermarket flashing scene. I kind of enjoyed that. Um, it's still got what is probably the greatest asset for this entire series at this point, which is uh, the Scream voice guy, who I guess is probably only mm-hmm. rivaled by Jigsaw voice guy in terms of like modern spooky voicemen. Um, yeah. Love that voice. I, honestly, if if I have to do a... A head-to-head, I, th- I think I think Scream voice guy is more menacing and terrifying than Jigsaw. He's, he's so explosive, you know what I mean? He, he just snaps at you. Yeah, yeah, that's true. Because, yeah, he, th- that voice actor is really good because he does, in some scenes, go from, like, being, like, very, like, warm and just, like, talking to you normally. Like, especially in the first Scream movie, obviously, the opening. Yeah, we're just chatting about scary flicks together. Yeah, but then I'm gonna snap on you. Yeah, then he snaps and calls you bad names and stuff. Yeah, yeah. He, he's he's very good. Yeah, so he's he's cool. I, you know, I, I like that guy. Glad that he's still getting work. Hope he has that voice forever. And it, although I suppose they've probably already got like a a computer program that can simulate his voice. You know, for whenever he does die, but it won't be the same. Mm-hmm. Um, but on the whole, yeah, I thought this movie was probably about as good as part five, which is not very good. Um, I was bummed out by the New York stuff. I was bummed out by, um, I don't know, just kind of the implausibility of, of a lot of the you know actions by the characters. Bummed out by these implausibly opulent New York City apartments that these three college kids live in, you know. <laughs> Which I, that's always an issue, I guess, with things said in New York, but it seemed especially silly here that these kids would be in this place with like a a kitchen that's bigger than my entire house, and it's got like a <laughs> a massive tree of onions above the the sink, as if these kids were like cooking up pastas every day or something in between their college classes. Um, yeah, <laughs> Jennifer brought that up too. It is weird that like twenty year olds would have. A bunch of onions. Like the 20 year olds are just ordering pizza all day. They're not cooking onions. Yeah. I mean, the bowl of fruit that they have, okay, I buy it. You pick up a fruit on the way to class, you know, you're biting into an apple classic, you know. Those onions, I don't know. That requires a lot of prep work. I'm not sure these kids got the time for that. You know, they're they're mm-hmm. too busy with their film studies class where they're uh, you know, devising what references to Argento they want to make that will make me groan at home. Um <laughs> Yeah, overall... Speaking of the film studies class and the references and stuff, there's a scene in yeah. the beginning where the, the first uh, Ghostface killer who's in film school, he has two posters on his wall. One is for Vertigo, and on the other side, it's Last Podcast on the left. And that made me so mad because I love Vertigo and I hate Last Podcast on the left. So I was like, why why, why are they doing this to me? It's like, that perfectly sums up how I feel about this movie. It's like, there's so much good potential here with vertigo and then and then the last podcasting on the left me like 
they're really getting me with that. So that's yeah. that kind of sums up the whole movie. I, I more or less feel the same, you know, that there's potential here, you know, a Jenna Ortega. I, I like her as an actress. I think she's really good. Mm-hmm. I don't know if her character in this has a defining characteristic, really like it. There's not a whole lot for her character in either of these two movies. In my opinion, she's kind of wasted. Yeah. Uh, Dermot Mulroney. I mean, should be a horror icon at this point. The guy was born on Halloween day, mm-hmm. but it's not going to happen from this role. I feel like you wasted him in this stupid ass role. Um, and yeah, I don't know. It, it, it was pretty underwhelming, but I watched it. I didn't hate it. I never felt like I wanted to turn it off and walk away from it. It was something stupid that I watched, you know, together with my wife and we were able to kind of laugh at it and not take it very seriously. And I think if you're in the mood for something like that, hang out, you know, with a, you know, a loved one or a friend or something and just kind of goof on a movie. It's good that these exist for that reason, but uh, it's a shame that they never really pushed for something, you know, that was kind of revolutionary in the way that that first one was, or, or at least like, I don't know, just even incrementally interesting like these should be building on top of horror, but it, it, I don't know if they, at this point they feel like such a regression, uh, but you know, good on them for making it, I guess. And and I'll probably watch another one, even though they're not that great. Yeah, it is odd. Like they, like they do the thing, like you mentioned where they're like, Oh, you know, this is now a, a franchise and the franchise rules say that, you know, legacy characters can get killed and blah, 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 blah. But it's like, if they were like, you know, staying true to scream, like they should be like doing like the rules for like elevated horror or whatever, you know, like it just seems like they're retreading the same rules, like the same slasher rules that really don't apply to movies anymore. You yeah. Know? Like, yeah, we, we don't make prom night anymore. So like you don't need yeah. to pretend like prom night is the defining horror movie of our generation anymore, you know? Yeah, we make the Babadook and like get out. Like they should be yeah. marking on those rules. And I mean, I don't know how exactly you do that, I guess, in a slasher movie, but like, like how you put those tropes into the Scream franchise. But like, that's the stuff they should be commenting on. But, uh, but I don't know. But yeah, I agree. It's definitely watchable. All these movies, all these, like, that's the plus side of these Scream movies is like, even when they're bad, they're like just so shiny and glossy and watchable that. It's fun to watch them even when they're bad. I guess our time is up. <laughs> <laughs> I had a, a funny new drop in store for me that started off with a musical stinger or something. <laughs> Can I reveal to you something that is a little bit embarrassing? And, you know, maybe I might email you after the show and, and desperately plead for you to, to cut this from air, but... <laughs> I've never seen any of the scary movies all the way through. I've certainly come across them on Comedy Central and watched a scene, maybe, maybe half a scene. Uh, But I've never actually sat down and and watched those scary movies. Should I? Um, I think that the first one is very funny. Um, the, the Wayans brothers did the first two and those actually the first two are really funny. 
And then Zucker Abrams took over from there. Oh. And they get really bad. Oddly enough, because those guys are genuinely good. But I I do think that the first two are really good, especially the first one. Like the first one does a really good job of parodying Scream. I mean, I'm sure a lot of the jokes don't really hold up, but I haven't watched them in a few years, but I remember them being really funny. Maybe someday we'll uh we'll do a commentary on a scary movie or something. Maybe that's the ideal way to watch it, is you and I talking over it or something. Yeah, that's a good plan. I mean, yeah, a lot of the jokes are like big and broad and, you know, it's like ghost face smoking weed, you know, that we <laughs> just half watch and still think is funny. So that's a good plan. I like those drugs. <laughs> but what about next week? What will we watch next week? Well, Bowman, I, I think it comes down to the question of what are you in the mood to celebrate? And in my mind, you know, I'm looking at the calendar. Calendar in front of me says January. I know this podcast is primarily a pun-based podcast, kind of a pun delivery system. And so I'm wondering, are you looking to celebrate Japanuary? Or are we celebrating journey-uary? And before you answer, (laughs) I do want to make it clear, at some point, you got to pay the piper with these journeys. We will be doing these journeys. It's unavoidable. And so it's, you know, you just got to decide, do you want to tear this Band-Aid off now, get it out of the way early in the year? Or are you trying to, you know, defer these journey flicks? (laughs) Uh, well that's interesting that you still want to do this journey to the center of the earth uh, with Journuary I mean Dustin Ferguary is only one mile we can can watch all of those well conveniently I'll be out of the country for some of it (laughs) you're right Um, uh, well I mean I feel like this is a trick like I feel like you found some Japanese adaptation of a Jules Verne movie. It's not. No, there will be no Jules Verne involved in Japanuary, if that's the way that you go. If you go with Journeyuary, it's going to be the 1993 made-for-TV NBC movie of the week version. Oh, my God. (laughs) Which looks better than it sounds. I I watched the first five minutes. F. Murray Abraham was in it. He's cool. You like him. I do like F. Murray Abraham. Probably your favorite Um, F. Out of all the men named F, I can't think of a better one. I guess F. Scott Fitzgerald, right? Fuck. Oh, yeah. He's good. He's really good. Man, that's two good Fs right off the bat. Yeah. Um, would you say that the Japanese movie is of equal or lesser value? Uh, if you go with Japanuary, I'm going to give you two titles, and you're going to pick one of them. But I'm not going to tell you what they are right now, unless you commit to Japanuary. You might not like these titles. <laughs> you might like them. Uh, and then, but if I pick Japanuary, and then I don't like those titles, I can't. No, I can't backtrack. Yeah, you, you'll be committed at that point. Mm-hmm. Are either of them Throne of Blood? No. <laughs> All right. Well, I feel like I feel like we just got a got a journey to the center of the earth then. Wow. We got to get through it, right? I'm so excited for the 1993 made for TV NBC movie of the week journey 
to the center of the earth. If we got to do it, we got to do it. Might as well just just get right get right in there. Well, you blew it. You you blew it. I had the most incredible Japanese films of all time picked out. What? That you would have loved. It was not a prank. But you'll never know now. Is that right? I mean, I, I thought it was going to be I a like prank. Them. I like them. I, I think um, you would have liked them, actually. What? Did I blow it? You might have blown it. Ah, oh, that's my M.O. I always blow it. He's got his own M.O. <laughs> Modus operandi. But I know that you picked Journey 1993 because, I mean, you've got a fondness for this story. You're hoping you're going to see Gertrude <laughs> the Goose. Well, I mean, if, you're, if, you're, if it's inevitable that you're going to pick it, we might as well watch it now. All right. Yeah, it is. I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm committed. I'm getting through this journey. That's my fourth <laughs> view year resolution is I'm, I'm going to journey all the way to the center of the earth. Oh, my God. At the all end, right. we get to party with the rock. That's true. I mean, I guess that is like a good way to celebrate the end. So we get to watch a $200 million blockbuster with the rock. And then after that, we get to watch two direct-to-video asylum knockoff <laughs> versions. <laughs> no. That don't feature The Rock. They might have oh, Dermot Mulroney, though. Yeah, that sounds like what he would be up to. All right, well, yeah, Journey. Journey, you marry. Well, sounds good. I look forward to hating it, I guess. I, we might be moving towards the ones that you might enjoy more. You know, you like the '90s. You're a kid of the '90s. I, you're always true. hanging out with Paul F. Tompkins, talking about how you love the '90s. I do like the '90s, and I do like TV movies. Can be oddly good from time to time. So, I mean, sounds good to me. All right, so it's official. It is official. Um, all right. Well. I guess that wraps it up for this one. Uh, thank you, everybody, for listening. Oh, by the way, the Japanese movies were Throne of Blood and Throne of Blood 2. Ah, oh, I blew it. I really blew it. That's exactly what I wanted to see this year. Uh, well, send us some voicemails. Let me know if I blew it. Call in at 347-746-JUNK. That's 347-746-5865. Uh, you don't even like Pokemans? <laughs> Uh, let me know if we should do Star Trek First Contact that week that Sean's out. Um, the answer is yes, of course. Um, let us know if you're going to be coming to the Junk Food Dinner Meetup in beautiful Cincinnati, Ohio. The San Diego of the East is what they call it, I think. Uh, or of the Midwest, maybe. Oh, yeah. I, mean, I think they the do call it that, yeah. Yeah. Uh, we're all going to get together. We're all going to get our picture taken with the lady from Species and then go to Skyline Chili. So it's going to be really fun. So come out to that, everybody. Um, and I'll I'll take you on a tour of all my favorite places in Cincinnati, like the place where Airborne was filmed and then Kevin's house. We'll all go to Kevin's house. Kevin said we can all go to his house and everybody gets to take one record home. Um, no. <laughs> That's what he said. Everybody gets a record. He's really generous. All these kids are pieces of shit. <laughs> um, so yeah, it's all right. Well, until next week, this is Parker for Sean saying thanks for having fun. I'm a fan of Japanese movies.